It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast. It's gracias, gracias y adios at Leeds United. Javi has been giving his marching orders just 11 games after he marched in to Elland Road. The Spaniards sacked with Leeds above the relegation zone only on goal difference, having leaked 23 goals in April, the most a Premier League team has ever conceded in a single month. The Whites will be swapping the jugs of sangria for jugs of gravy because Big Sam is back in business. Allardyce given the job with just four Premier League games left to save Leeds. A stroke of genius or a final roll of the dice for an increasingly desperate football club? No doubt Leeds' eyes will have been on last night's affair at King Power Stadium too. A massive relegation contest between Leicester and Everton and there was nothing to separate the sides who battled out a gripping 2-2 draw. But that shouldn't have been the case as Madison missed from the spot and Calvert-Lewin choked from even closer. But how does that change the picture at the bottom of the Premier League? And yesterday may have been a day off for us, but we won't be skipping out on our weekly whinge as we vent our frustrations from the weekend's action. This is the award-winning Premier League podcast, Football Social Daily. My name's Niall, and joining me today, we've got Joel Tudor in the studio. How are you doing, Joel? I'm good, I'm good. Had a good wedding weekend, plenty of booze, plenty of food, plenty of dancing, and now I'm just on the... The weekend come down. <laughs> a bit of a knees up, was it? <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> and also we've got Marley Anderson, who's having an extended bank holiday. I was going to say at home, but you're not actually at your home. You're in someone else's home because you're getting some work done at your home. So yeah. what's going on? Where are you? I'm a rolling stone at the minute. Uh, my, <laughs> I've, I've got no water at my house, no, no bathroom. Uh, the floor's being ripped up. The, there's no toilet. There's no shower. There's no bath. <laughs> So yeah, it's a bit of a crazy morning. So I can't be can't be with you in the office because I've got to oversee some workmen ripping uh, ripping a whole bathroom out. So sounds like your Sunday league changing rooms. No hot water, no showers, <laughs> no we toilets. Have, we haven't even got a changing room. We turn up fully kitted. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Uh, lots to get through on today's podcast. And let's start with what we usually start with on a Monday. But obviously today is a Tuesday, as yesterday was a bank holiday in the UK, as we've been discussing. And it's get in the sea. This is our chance once a week. To to kind of get some things off of our chest 
and talk about what's wound us up from the weekend's Premier League games. We'll come to you first, Joel. What is it that wound you up the most about the fixtures this weekend? It feels like I've done this kind of Monday moan for at least five of this season, which is Jurgen Klopp. He always <laughs> seems to come up after a week. That's and just you. Jim's always chucking him in the sea as well, Jurgen Klopp. It's the same reasons, though. It's not anything different to do with like his tactics or to do with anything else. It's always to do with his antics on the touchline. And if anyone saw the game against Spurs at the weekend, by the way, a cracking game, uh, coming back from three goals down to then lose the game in the last minute with um, Lucas Moura basically gifting them a chance back into the game. And it was strange because, obviously, if anyone's not seen it, he ran up to the official after Jota scored the fourth goal, almost getting in his face as if to say, you know, that's what you get for not giving my team the decisions and taking it out on the fourth official. And then he turns around and pulls his hamstring right, really <laughs> comically. But the thing that got it for me was that, you know, everything on social media and Sky, they were focusing on the hamstring injury, which, by the way, was absolute comedy gold. I absolutely loved seeing that. It was great. But... <laughs> It was the fact that what he did prior to that got completely clouded over, which is the fact that, and it happens a lot, it's not just a one-off scenario, it's frequent, where he gets into the faces of officials, screams in their faces, does such passive-aggressive comments and behaviours on the touchline. And what makes matters worse is that he only got a yellow card from the referee, which I thought was completely unjust. if, If that was any other manager who wasn't usually up to those kind of tactics on the touchline, I think they would have got sent to the stands or at least got some kind of one-game ban or a red card that, you know, they give the re- the cards to the re- referees, sorry, to the managers. To get a yellow card for that, I think, was just ridiculous. And even after the game, Jurgen Klopp was a little bit bitter in the way Spurs approached the game where he said, oh, well, you know, Spurs just counter-attack anyway, so we, we knew how to approach it. I mean, what do you want them to do? Every single time Jurgen Klopp come, comes up against the side, which attacks them, he has something wrong to say with it because it's like, oh, how dare you come and attack my Liverpool side and actually try and win the game? Why didn't you just lie down and let us batty you 6-0? It makes <laughs> no sense to me whatsoever. So yeah, that got my, my tail up this weekend and it has for the last like nine months, five years since he's been in England, to be fair. It's just so annoying on the touchline. I think the Premier League needs to start looking into antics on the touchline because Mikel Arteta's another one. For example, standing literally on the pitch while players are running. I remember when uh, Kevin De Bruyne, when he was away at the Emirates and Mikel Arteta was too close to the touchline when uh, De Bruyne literally bumped into him and he's literally looking at him thinking, what are you doing right on the pitch? Are you retired or not? Do you want to come and play for Arsenal or not? It was just strange. So yeah, these touchline antics need to get in the bin in, in, in just in its entirety, to be honest. We've had a few discussions this season about incidents with match officials, whether that be Andy Robertson getting in the face of an assistant referee or Mitrovic being banned for doing something similar. Now we've got managers running up and shouting in the face of the fourth official. Now, we always see these campaigns, Marley, don't we? Like the respect campaign and without an, a referee, there's no game of football. Understand it's a highly charged emotional environment where everyone wants to win and there are jobs and quite a lot of money on the line with these matches. But Jurgen Klopp, as Joel says, I think now that Roy Hodgson's back in, I think he's the second or third oldest manager in the Premier League. And in terms of longevity, again, like Joel said, he's been in the Premier League for ages, for years, and yet he still conducts himself sometimes like this on the sideline he doesn't need to do that does he no he doesn't um it's but it's it's sort of his his character isn't it and that's that's just the way he is and we we kind of like play it off as ah, he's always been like that but 
if you do dig into it a bit more, and he's not the only one before before Liverpool fans listen to this and get the back up that we're, we're going on at Liverpool, but it's not, it's not just him, but if you dig down into it, it's more like, it's it's a bad example to to set and stuff like that. And you've got the um, the respect campaigns, which are nobody nobody buys into them. It's it's a token gesture of oh let's let's respect the ref. Then the ref gives a decision that you don't agree with, and all of a sudden he's every name under the sun. And it happens at every level of the game, um, from Sunday league to to Premier League. It's it's all uh, it's all the same. It shouldn't. It shouldn't happen. But it 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 starts as well. It includes the managers. The managers get away with a fair bit. The 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 language they use towards the the fourth official. Fourth official is the worst job in football because all you do is make no decisions and stand there and get pelters from two sets of coaches, like two benches, and you're literally stood just in the middle, going, "Does <laughs> anyone want to make a sub, lads? Yeah, yeah. You know they're all effing and blinding them. It's like. I hope it's well paid, but you know it. It comes down to like it filters down, doesn't it? Who would want to be a ref? You know, you how young do young kids want to be a ref? No, because you got to start at Sunday League where you know thirty grown men call you all sorts of names, and it, all it takes is one incident, and then that's it. You're gone. Um, you you know you you're affected for it, and you think, ah, oh, this isn't worth it, and you're probably right to think that. Well, ironically, my getting the C is also to do with referees, and I'm about to have a go at one of them. So <laughs> this Let's segue go. is quite Let's referee nicely, special it? today. Um, it's a very, very small one because I actually quite enjoyed this weekend's Premier League action. I am with you, Joel, in getting Jurgen Klopp in the C for that behaviour. But I watched last night's game between Everton and Leicester with interest, and we'll come on to it in more detail in a bit. But Michael Oliver in the first 15, 20 minutes just kept getting in the way. There were counter attacks, there were transitions. Both teams started really brightly trying to get at the other in what's the biggest game of their seasons, respectively. And Michael Oliver just kept getting in the way. And I was thinking, ref, get out of the way. James Madison at one point actually had to kick the ball one side of Oliver and then run around the other side to get the ball back. Leicester ended up losing the ball and eventually he goes down and he gets the free kick. But I'm half thinking Michael Oliver's given the free kick because he knows he's got in the way. And if I was Madison, I would have turned around and gone, ref, what are you doing? Get out of the way. Michael Oliver is one of our best referees in this country. I'm adamant of that. It's good to be close to the action. I think it's good to get as close to the action as possible. You don't want referees giving decisions from 60 yards away, basically taking a guess as to what's happened. So referees being right on top of the action, I think, gives them the best opportunity. It also gives them no excuse when it comes to decision making. But don't get in the way. Well, Mike Dean's left a massive void of making it all about him, so someone else has got to fill those shoes, don't they? I don't think he intentionally did that, but Michael Oliver got his positioning sorted out. Interestingly, referees are actually taught to run in diagonals. So from the corner flag to the halfway line on the opposite side and vice versa. So like in X's, basically, to run along the lines of X's. So either from corner flag to corner flag or if you drew an X in each half of the pitch, they're told to run in Mm. those directions. Um, which I think isn't the worst idea in the world. It seems to have worked for the majority of referees, but just getting in the way is frustrating. I can't imagine it's frustrating to watch. I can't imagine what it would have been like to be a player yesterday. So that was just a small one for me, but certainly trivial in the grand scheme of things. What about you, Marley? What you've got to complain about? <laughs> I think that's so harsh that the referee who is not a footballer can't judge the pace and tempo of a Premier League game quite as quite as. As good as Nile would like. No, to be fair, right, I see what you're saying, but 
it didn't happen once. It happened about three times in the space of 10 minutes. And after the first time, you think, all right, fair enough, it's a mistake. Second time, you think, all right, okay, this is annoying. Third time, you're like, get out of the way. <laughs> the players need to stop <laughs> kicking the ball at him then. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry, Marley, That's your the turn. They were trying to play a pass through to Vardy and, uh, and Calvert-Lewin at either end, and they were so, they've been so bad this season, now they can only pick out the referee. Um, mine's mine's pretty light-hearted. I didn't, I didn't watch that much football this weekend, if I'm honest. Um, but one thing I noticed... Um, and I've been noticing it for a while, so it's kind of been in, in the bank of this can go in the sea when there's a, a something else that doesn't wind me up. Um, it's players cutting holes in the socks. Just stop it. Just stop it. It makes it cannot make any difference. If it makes a difference, you're talking half a percent and, and a half percent is in your head. It's psychological. That's a good half a percent, though. Yeah, but when you're Anthony Gordon and he's still missing chances. <laughs> he was, yeah, he I mean, was... you've got to be top class, don't you? If it's working and you're top class, you can say, well, yeah. give me the half percent. Kyle, Kyle Walker started this this trend. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he's got massive legs and calves and Jack Grealish does as well, but he wears his socks low. Well, they say that the reason for it is that the tightness of the socks prior to cutting holes in them almost constricts their calf movement. So the fact that Way you can... socks? Or let or stretch your ones, but it's the fact that it allows yeah. their calf to like expand and they feel less restricted. I think it's pure placebo. Yeah. B- <laughs> However, for them, like it you is. just said, it's all a mental thing. I isn't just it? can't so. believe that Marley was like, "Oh, it's a bit harsh talking about referees getting in the way," and he's had a go at someone cutting a hole in the <laughs> sock. Proper boomer, boomer opinion. Ridiculous. Um, who was it that had the holes in their socks this weekend that made you it, notice that? Anthony Gordon this week, but there's. If you look, if you look, there's at least two two players on every team that that have uh, have this now, and Walker started it fine. Well, he might have, I think he did, but just wear bigger socks, just wear looser socks, and if it's it's annoying as well because players don't. If you look at players' boots and feet now, no one in the Premier League wears proper socks. They all wear. They're called leg sleeves, basically. They're footless socks. So they all wear their, their, their own socks to, for comfort and grip. And then they wear basically a leg sleeve. So how can... You can never get one that's too big because it's only going around your leg. It's not going around your foot. Like if you wear a sock that's too big, your foot moves in the in the foot part of the sock, doesn't it? So it's it just winds me up. I'm just like, it, lo- it looks stupid. And technically, if I've got a ripped shirt, I have to go... You have to go off the pitch, don't you? Every Premier League player, but you can you can take a pair of scissors or let a moth loose on your socks and your calves are going to be slightly better. It's, it's trivial, but it winds me up. What baffles me is that you've got these multi-billion organisations like Nike and Adidas who are seeing these players literally rip to shreds their socks and have yet to do an innovation which allows yeah. them to just wear it as a normal sock. The money they cost. Soon the league will stop that, though. Because you it's remember crazy. back in the day when Ronaldo used to wear... The white socks over the top of the football sock, and then it became a thing where, like what you say, they cut the the foot part of the sock, so it's basically like a, a stocking, if you will, and uh, they wear their socks underneath. And you know, then there was sock tape, but sock tape now has to be the same colour as the actual sock. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of it is to do with assistant referees because when they're looking for offsides, they're actually looking at the players' legs, and they need to know which colour sock is which team. Which is why often you'll see referees wear black shirts, black shorts, and then a random pink socks. It looks bizarre, but the referees do that so that if the referee's in the mix, the assistant knows Mm. which team 
is which and the referee doesn't get confused and all that so there are reasons behind it but yeah that is very trivial but I guess that's what getting the sea is all about Sock Social <laughs> Daily <laughs> You can't be serious every week No 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 it's far too serious the Premier League at the moment so we can all kind of relax a little bit I do apologise if I came across like old man yells at cloud there but yeah. <laughs> that, that's one of the, the risks you run with going for a trivial one If this was 12 months ago you'd be picking out something from a Newcastle game with your survival in the top flight on the line Whereas now, yeah. with you both pretty comfortable in the top four, as Manchester United and Newcastle fans respectively. We're not in the top four. We're in the top three. Joel's in the top yeah, four. I, I, well, actually, I thought your Monday moment was going to be that Southampton didn't give you enough credit for your victory like you did with United. <laughs> I, was, I was waiting on it, the red carpet. <laughs> I didn't even hear what Celeste said. Uh, oh, he was killing you. He was killing you. It was... It was just one-way traffic and then they, they randomly scored and I was like, oh, here we go. Also, just before we move on and talk about the relegation battle, because we will talk in more detail about Everton versus Leicester from yesterday in a second, your bet that you had on from the start of the season of all different teams to win the title in different so leagues, you've got very close, but I think Sheffield Wednesday have let you down, have they not? Yeah, Wednesday have let me down. Um, I, needed them. I needed Ipswich and Wickham. I think uh, not Wickham, Plymouth. Plymouth, yeah. Um, to lose at the weekend to give it any chance, and I think Ipswich were, were about six nil up at half time, <laughs> and I was like, "Well, it's what there, there it goes." So I turned down. Uh, I think he got three hundred and fifty quid cash out, and I let it run because I was what like, was "The total, yeah, one thousand five hundred and fifty-four." So <laughs> to, the, to the death, to the point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's been studying this accumulator <laughs> every single weekend and going yeah. through the results on a long but, piece of paper. Hey, seven to one for Burnley to win the championship. That that gave it value big time. And then City are going to come through. Real Madrid uh, to win the Super Cup. Bundesliga was Bayern and PSG to win in France. And the only one to let me down was Chef- uh, Wrexham to win the conference as well. Um, and the only one to let me down was Sheffield Wednesday. <laughs> so I think oh, yeah. Bayern might end up letting it down as well. I can't lie. The Germans always win at the end of every every game of football, except in Germany, it's Bayern. It's more specific to Bayern. We don't care about the Bundesliga on this podcast, unfortunately, though. <laughs> Thank God. Because we are a Premier League show, an award-winning Premier League podcast, and there are just four games of the top flight season remaining here in England. How will it unfold, particularly at the bottom end, as there are several teams in strife? One of them... Leeds United, who have today decided to sack Javi Gracia and replace him with Sam Allardyce. We'll talk about that shortly and we'll also discuss Leicester's game with Everton after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to Football Social Daily, your Premier League podcast from the Sports Social team. If you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss an episode again, including any of our chats with former top flight professionals. And speaking of top flight professionals, will Leeds United's players be able to call themselves that next season as they are looking over their shoulders out of the relegation zone only on goal difference? They conceded a whopping 23 goals in the month of April, the most conceded by any Premier League team in a single calendar month in the history of the competition and the most by a top flight team in one month since 1965. All of those stats have forced Leeds to turn on Javi Gracia, someone they installed only 11 games ago as their new manager. He has now been sacked and they've turned to Sam Allardyce. Big Sam is the man with four games to go to save Leeds. But the question is, Joel, will Big Sam keep Leeds in the Premier League? God, just reminds me of that Ghostbuster one. Who you gonna call? <laughs> Big, Big Sam. Sam. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, yeah, he's just like the emergency call number, isn't it? He's on speed dial for all of these teams whenever they're in the uh, in, in the mix. <laughs> but I don't know if there's ever been a manager who's been employed with four games to go. Has there ever been one that that late in a season? Do you know what? I can't think of one unless it was like a caretaker till the end of the season for the final four games, but certainly not with a team in this much trouble like what Leeds are. I just wonder, is four games enough time, like you say, Joel, for someone even as experienced as Sam Allardyce to make something happen? Well, it, it happened with West Brom, didn't it? That was his last job a few years ago when he was tasked with trying to keep West Brom in the league with, I think they only had around, what, eight games to go at that time and they went down. And that was his only time on his CV where he had a relegated side under his name. And I just think with Leeds, well, first and foremost, the fact that they just got beat by Bournemouth was definitely the last string to be uh, clipped in terms of just absolute embarrassment. And the fact that the sporting director has actually gone with Javi Grathi is even more embarrassing because he's obviously the man who's making these appointments. They started the season with Jesse Marsh. Then they got Grathia, and now they're going to start uh, end it with Sam Allardyce. I mean, to be honest, I wouldn't even be surprised if they got rid of Allardyce with two games to go <laughs> if things started, didn't start going their way. That's how completely, incredibly um, chaotic it is at Leeds at the moment. But four games, if, if, if it was, let's say, eight games to go, nine games to go, I would have said, OK, he has a little bit of, a little bit of time to make a difference. But with four games... That's purely going to be a case of mental. It's a mental thing. You can't implement any kind of strategy or structure apart from basically just giving him his experience and his motivation to try and get him out of it. But it's it's a chaotic situation, isn't it, for Leeds? Three managers in a season. It kind of baffles me how with a player you can only play for two teams per season, but with a manager or a club, they can employ as many as they want, clearly. Mm. It's it's a baffling time. I don't know if it's going to come off for them because Allardyce, as proven at West Brom, wasn't the uh, the silver magic lining that they expected him to be. You say that, but then you just need to take a look in the Championship this season with Neil Warnock. Huddersfield were doomed to drop down to League One and he's gone in there and done a job, albeit with far more games to play with. And I think that that is the deciding factor here, Marley. What do you think? Do you think that it's just too short a time for 
Big Sam to be able to get anything going? Or as long as there are some points left to play for, there's always a chance? Uh, I think it's a terrible decision, to be honest. Um, I don't disagree that Gracia would have saved them. Like I, I think they were they were going down with him. So it's almost a case of, well, Sonic will try something. Um, we've got to try something and we'll see what happens. But just on Joel's point there, um, Allardyce came in at West Brom in December. Couldn't save him. So he had five months to put his plan in place uh, to improve them, to, to get something out of him in basically half a season. Couldn't do it. Couldn't get the players in in January because he blamed Brexit um, for work work <laughs> permit rules. So he couldn't get what he wanted. Remember, he wanted uh, JJ Okocha and Yuri Jokaev for one last dance. But <laughs> and Ivan Campo. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, just he didn't he didn't do it then. I don't think he's going to do it now. I think it's hugely desperate from Leeds. Um, and for me, if you go from Marcelo Bielsa to Sam Allardyce in the space of, I think it's 14 months, you have no idea what you're doing as a club. You've, that is just panic stations. You've you've had one of the, the most forward-thinking, revolutionary coaches um, in Bielsa. Okay, you've, you said, right, it's not working anymore. But then you can't get a, a, a more different pair of coaches than Bielsa and Allardyce. So, you know, you're giving Big Sam four games to um, to to do this. The last time he stood in a managerial dugout was Soccer Raid. <laughs> Telling ben, you win Shepherd, that game? T- t- <laughs> telling ben Shepherd out to mark Usain Bolt. If this is the same, <laughs> this is not the same, you know what I mean? It's just, it's desperate from Leeds. It's no but... different from telling Pascal Strike how to mark Erling Haaland though, is it? <laughs> it's very similar actually, come to think of it, yeah. It, it really is. But it's, it's desperate, isn't it? But I'd look at, I don't know what Leeds are going to do because their defence is just so poor. You look at Leicester, and Everton, I don't think their defence is anywhere near as bad as as, as Leeds is. Um, even, not necessarily just in, in what they've conceded in the last few games, but just man for man. Like, I think both the defenders of, of a defensive unit have got better players in than, than Leeds have. Um, but that's why you, I suppose that's why they're going to go for Big Sam to try and, uh, try and shore that up a bit, trying to play a bit more direct, a bit more safety first. But four games is... Is uh, is is tough job. I was going to ask, and you've kind of already said it there, Marley. Whether it's, I guess it's kind of both. Because if he keeps them up, it's genius. But then where do Leeds go next? And that's all I can think about with this appointment is what happens next for Leeds. Because first of all, they don't know what division they're going to be in. I don't know what the contract is with Big Sam because as we're recording this podcast, it's not officially formally been announced, but it's pretty much nailed on that Big Sam is is in to replace Gathia. So I just wonder, if they go down to the championship, do they stay with Big Sam? Or if they stay in the Premier League, do they ditch Big Sam and get someone else in to start from the summer? Like, is it a four-game contract for Big Sam? Is that literally what we're talking about here? That's, that's well, that's what the rumour is. Obviously, by the time this podcast comes out, we'll, everyone will know. But it is heavily implied and rumoured that it's just going to be to the end of the season. Literally a firefighting job. Um but yeah, where do you go? Like, if if he succeeds, do, do you give him another year? Does he don't want know. it? I don't know. <laughs> firefighting job. Can't imagine Big Sam climbing through my window late at night in his firefighting gear. Fireman Sam, <laughs> innit? Fireman Sam. That's what it is. Need, need to reinforce ladder. Yeah. It is, uh, yeah. it is uh, 
for him. <laughs> but, you know, it's, uh, yeah, chug, chugging a pint of gravy on his way up. <laughs> um, but listen, it's like you say, uh, a decision taken by Leeds, clearly, to try and preserve their Premier League status. Javi Grathia had the issue of goals conceded. Now, if Big Sam gets a couple of nil-nils, that's not going to stop Leeds getting relegated with the way things are going. So you say you don't think Big Sam's got enough time to come in and make a difference, maybe from a coaching perspective. What can Big Sam do with the time he's got? With Leeds, obviously, they've conceded the most amount in the Premier League. So you think first and foremost, he's going to make them a very, very well-organised team in terms of just defensive unit, first and foremost. I mean, conceding 67 goals this season is ridiculous. And even when you look at, for example, their team, you've got uh, Weston McKenney, who's come from Juventus. You've got Rocker in the middle, who played uh, just uh, the other game. And then you have, you know, Wilfred um, Yonto, who Grathia was not playing. And he was one of their brightest sparks in attack. Just really questionable decisions like that, where Sam hopefully has been watching. I know he did a podcast about Leeds, where he almost like prophesied that he was going to take over, saying, oh, this is what I would do uh, if I took over Leeds. Hopefully he's been seeing it because in, in actuality, they do have a pretty talented forward line. They have goals in it. Like, you know, Somerville, Bamford, I know he's almost fallen off a cliff slightly. But like I said, you know, Nyonto and uh, Aronson, these are players who, and, you know, not to forget Jorginho Ruta, who's the big money signing, who's only got one goal this season. Mm. There's talent there, but it's the other end of the pitch, which is completely costing them. When you're losing four goals to Bournemouth, yep. to your direct rivals, mm. I think that was that was the last straw, wasn't it? You can't be losing to teams like that. I said at the time, after Leicester played Leeds, that when Patrick Bamford missed at the far post, is that a miss that will cost Leeds United? Is that one of those moments in the football season where you look back and think that had to go in? And I think it did. When you look at where Leicester and Leeds are respectively in the table, that game finished 1-1. It's the only game that Leeds have taken a point from in recent weeks. Mm. The rest of the time, they've been absolutely hammered. And you look at the games left, you've got Manchester City away and they've not been beaten at home there all season. Newcastle at home, West Ham away, Tottenham at home. I mean... Can you even see three points in there? Well, under Sam, you never know, and these these kind of results. Yeah. And against Spurs, up. you never know. Oh as yeah, hundred well. percent. That's a, <laughs> yeah, that's 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 probably a given. But yeah, City away his first game. Christ, yeah. I mean, you couldn't go for a harder game, could you, to try right. and get some to get a lift from your team? It's gonna be difficult. What does this appointment and this decision mean for Leeds United in terms of their attractiveness as a football club? They're a huge club with a great fan base. Lots of history, lots of potential. But when you're a player looking at this from afar, are you thinking, oh, I don't know if I want to turn up at that club. It seems an absolute mess. Fans aren't on side. Manager's gone after just 11 games. New guy's coming in for four games. We don't know if he's going to be there. Sporting director's gone. Out of the top division for 16 years, could be back there again. It seems like a blow to Leeds in terms of their attractiveness. I'm not sure whether fans care about the attractiveness of the club or the appeal of the club, but to me, if I was a football player, I'd be like, well, I don't know if I want to go to Leeds United because I don't know whether I'll be in the team in two weeks' time because they might sack the manager. It's obvious from the outside looking in that they don't have they don't have a plan. They don't have a clue. You don't you don't you don't see that many sporting directors get sacked. I know Forrest did it uh, a few weeks ago, but they're the same. Like they don't have a plan. They've got a, a trigger happy owner. Um, who wants to, you know, immediate success sort of thing. Um, 
you know, Watford do something similar. Leeds, uh, Leeds are Leeds for for someone coming in. You can either you can see it one of two ways. Either they haven't got a clue and keep lurching from pillar to post and and trying to get it right and can only get can only do wrong for trying to do right type of thing. Or you can come in and say they have a clean slate and something to something where I can help put my stamp on it. But you you know to to put your stamp on something you need to be there for a while. For example, like I, I mean, every time a managerial job comes up in the Premier League, which is I think been fourteen times now in the Premier League this season, I always think I always think of Rafa Benitez. I'm thinking now if Rafa Benitez went to Leeds, he would want assurances about how long he's going to get. And, and what type of investment he's going to want to oversee in a football club. And he's experienced enough to have been there and done it, and he'll do it again. If, he, if you give him a project, you know, and say, right, what do we need from your years and years of experience in the game? What do we need to succeed? He could probably tell you, but w- would lead to listen. I, I don't know whether Radrazani would, would listen for too long um, before he went, oh, we've lost three in a row and only scored two goals in nine games like you're gone and then they're just back to square one again so it's not it can't always work from from board level it can't always be like all roses and and happy and you put a, people in place it doesn't always work you've got to be um you've got to go through the rough times sometimes and i don't think they've got any managerial appointments right since bielsa obviously um and yeah it's just a it's a bit of a mess, really, and and the longer it continues, the more this will become a problem. I wonder whether they'll get this one right. Big Sam is in to replace Habi Gracia at Leeds United, and incidentally, a couple of the players we've spoken to this season on Football Social Daily have played underneath Big Sam, and both of them really enjoyed their time under his leadership. Wes Brown of Sunderland, formerly, and Matt Jarvis, who played under him at West Ham. They've both spoken to us this season on the podcast and you can hear their thoughts on the big man by scrolling back in the timeline and finding those episodes. So make sure you don't miss those. Right, that's it for the Leeds chat, but we're going to stay on the relegation theme because next we're going to discuss the game that took place last night in the Premier League. As big a Monday night football as you could get at this stage of the season. Two teams fighting it out in the bottom three, Everton against Leicester. And it finished 2-2. We'll talk about it after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. 
Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Final part of today's FSD. Welcome back to the show. My name's Niall. Joel Tudor and Marley Anderson are with me. And there was a massive game at the bottom of the Premier League last night, which finished all square, two apiece, between Leicester City and Everton at King Power Stadium. My first thought was that both sides need to win, Marley. So was 2-2 a good result for either side, really, on the balance of things? It's a, it's a situation where Everton can win the game. Leicester can win the game or both teams can lose the game by, by it being a draw because both teams have missed a, a huge chance there to to pull away. Um, and obviously it doesn't get them mathematically out of it. Of course it doesn't, but it's so tight at the bottom that that would have been huge. I think there would have been two points clear of um, of the bottom of the table. Um, if Everton had won, they'd have been on 32. They'd have been two points clear of, um, of Leeds and Forest. Um, if Leicester had won, they'd have been... Um, I think three points clear of of Everton. Uh, sorry, they would have been four points ahead of Everton. I think so. Untouchable to to a team in the relegation zone, and that's really big. But to be fair, it it was a bit of a it was a good game, but it was a good game because there were so many chances because teams they they you know lacking confidence and that sort of played played into it there was nerves there was a bit of there was mistakes everywhere there was you know poor finishing referees getting in the way <laughs> referees getting in the way there was I spotted a couple of pairs of cut socks that wound me up uh, there was missed penalties there was there was everything really Jurgen Klopp was in the crowd getting in someone's face as getting well. into the official VAR's face um, no but you make a good point with what you say that a draw kind of is not equivalent to a loss because points are points and they're important right now but you know, both sides really did need to win, but it could have been a win for either side had Dominic Calvert-Lewin not missed somehow inexplicably from three yards out when the ball was put across for him and it was on a plate. Or James Madison had converted the penalty that Leicester got that would have put them 3-1 up. In the end, it was saved by Jordan Pickford. And I mentioned a moment ago the Patrick Bamford thing, the miss at the far post against Leeds. That is a moment that could define Leeds United's season. Will Everton and Leicester fans be looking back at those moments from last night's game, the Madison penalty and the Calvert-Lewin miss from a couple of yards out as those potential defining moments? Yep, they could be. Um, there's bound to be more moments in the next four weeks. Um, but, yeah, it's when when the chances... I mean, Calvert-Lewin's miss, I don't know. I don't know how he, he manages to not put that in, but it's... Um, it's just one of them things that's how it goes for you when you're at the bottom. You know, he, he does well to win the penalty and, and score it and stuff. But yeah, when you're down there, your confidence is low. You don't anticipate the ball well enough. Um, great save, I suppose, by Everson. He, he, he played really well, actually. I thought he made a really good save from... Uh, uh, I can't remember who it was. Iwobi. Iwobi, yeah. Christ, Iwobi's finishing though, isn't it? So uh, that was a good save, that. But... Um, well, he's made a few, Daniel Everson. In all credit to he's him, way we've said Ward. on this podcast that maybe Ward was not the right choice, as you say, and he's come in and he's performed well. He's bailed his team out a few times. It's a brave choice, to be fair, to put a, to put a kid in when you're, um, you know, fighting for your life. Um, 
but yeah, he's he's obviously highly rated. I remember you saying earlier this season there's a kid in the 21s for Leicester who's a goalie who's really good and he's probably as good as they've got. Um, and it's playing out that way, to be fair, because he's, he's, he's way better than Ward, miles better than Ward. Um, but yeah, it's um, back to the game. It's just, yeah, it, it'll, it'll linger. I don't think would have would have slept much last night because he'd have been just replaying that chance over and over and over again but like I say that when your confidence is low that's the way it goes you know if if Everton were fourth in the league Calvert-Lewin it would probably uh, score that without looking it would probably hit his shin and go in when he wasn't looking or something but it's just the way it goes at the bottom But did either side really deserve to win Joel? Do you think a draw was probably a fair result from a neutral perspective? Yeah, I mean, when you look at, for example, the shots, there was almost 40 shots taken in the game in its entirety and they're both pretty even on both sides, which just shows both teams literally gave the jugular to try and win the game. I really enjoyed the intensity of it, though. It was played at a very, very high pace. It felt like the Leicester days of last season, you know, where things felt really competitive and they were going for, you know, top four, top six, things were going their way. And even when you mentioned Jamie Vardy, for example, his goal was like a reminiscent goal from 2015, where, you know, he's making runs in behind, someone's finding him and he's slotting it away with ease. And like you mentioned, there's defining moments in these games, like where he hit the crossbar. On another day, that would have gone straight in the back of the net. But when you're down there, nothing, the ball just doesn't bounce for you. And you've got to have these kind of moments like Madison against Pickford, you got to give Pickford such a lot of credit because... Yep. On his water bottle yeah, as well. Yeah, he he's, he's came in prepared. I, I bet a lot of goalkeepers aren't massively prepared in some league games, for example, compared to, you know, if you go into a cup game and there's a very high chance you may have a penalty shootout. I bet there's a lot of, like, lack of preparation. Well, we were know? talking about David De Gea only a week ago for oh, the he penalty didn't shootout He read his bottle, but his bottle lied to him. <laughs> he picked the wrong ball, I think. <laughs> yeah, he was... Do you know what I'd do if I was, like, in the Premier League? I would know that, you know, he's got his research on there. At a corner, simply walk Go up the to opposite it way. and hoy it. Just lob that ball as far as it can into the crowd, into the away end. Or scratch the paper off yeah, of it just, that's got all the information. Just or, 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 just go, or just go the opposite way because he knows you're going to the left all the time. <laughs> but also, that's the sort of thing where I don't think you think about it before you're going into a game. Goalkeepers are because penalties are a big thing for them. Mm. But I don't think normal players would be going into the game thinking, oh, I wonder if Pickford's got information on yeah, his water bottle. I wouldn't. But it's part of the game now. So now, yeah, 100% now we, now we maybe now. I mean, maybe I now we back would. Jamie Vardy, probably the biggest <laughs> in the Premier League in terms of winding up opposition by players and fans to just see it and say, oh, what you got there? Lob it straight into the crowd. You're never getting that back. And you've got to remember, obviously you might remember the information, but when it's fresh you get in sent your head, off. Would he get sent off yeah. if you threw it into the crowd? Yeah. Just give it to the ball, just, boy. Look after yeah, this for the game. Put it, put it behind uh, the advertising board. They do it with towels now. Have you seen this in the winter when it's raining mm. or snowy and the ball's wet? Mm. So they have towels. They give towels to the ball boys who dry the ball for the home players. Stoke City, and then when the ball the goes day. to the, the away players, they don't... They remember Rory Delap had the extra linen yeah. under his t-shirt he that he used to dry in, the he? ball with, yeah? He, he was, uh, yeah, that's another conversation for another day. But in terms of goalkeepers, I think a big point to raise is with uh, Everson and how well he's done when he's coming to the team, if he started the season instead of Ward, I don't think they'd be in this situation 
I know you can't scapegoat one player, but that um, Ward was making some suspect mistakes I agree. during those games. I agree, but I don't know whether you can say that Leicester wouldn't be in this position. I think they've had a really poor season from Brendan Rodgers now through to Dean Smith. The first game they had, they were looking for their first win of the season for ages. Southampton got their first victory of the season before Leicester City did by beating Leicester. And that was way back in, I think, August. So it hasn't been ideal for them. They struggled through the Carabao Cup. They managed to beat Stockport County, League Two side, on penalties, albeit with a changed squad, as you'd expect, but they made a struggle of that. No, they ended up sort of tamely limping out of the FA Cup last year to Nottingham Forest, and I think that there was kind of signs there. And it was the end of last season where they kind of picked up form after being mid-table for ages that they ended up finishing in the top 10. And that hangover has kind of continued into this season. They probably should have gone on to win the Conference League, although no shame in losing to Jose Mourinho Roma side in a European competition. But it's just they were the only side to not refresh. It's just one of the main points. Yeah, they couldn't. We, we they know couldn't how make signings. Yeah, uh, they they sold for Farna. It, it's it's you know Vardy signed a two-year yeah. contract at the start of the season to keep him at Leicester until 2024. Was that the right choice? Probably yes, to keep him around the dressing room. Even Kasper Schmeichel, even like these are big moments in this. Who knows if Kasper Schmeichel was there? I'm not saying he's a bad keeper, but I think he would have probably yep. had, he has a big influence in that Mark club. Mark Brighton, another experienced player, has gone out on loan. Yeah. You know, you got Valt Fast coming in in January and straight away going into it. Johnny Evans has been injured, Evans so they've had their issues. Big loss, yeah. They should have signed but, a goalie in January. They should have got Debravka on loan or, or something or, or bought him um, from, mm. from us because that, well, that, they did that get? was rumoured. Who they did get in January was Tete, who's been shocking. He's been a disaster, yeah. I think. Played well for the first game where he scored. Been anonymous since then. Mm-hmm. Absolutely anonymous. And, you know, Harvey Barnes is one of their consistent performers. Hasn't been as good this year. Jamie Vardy, again, goals are dried up. Patson Dacca, maybe not quite at the level required to Wilfred Ndidi, fill in. though. I he's think really he's dropped off as well. He's one of the most vital drop-offs. He, yeah. he was running games for them. Doesn't look the, the same player since the few yeah. injuries that he's had. But, um, you know, we could go through the whole Leicester squad and just pick out everyone who's been below par, mm. to be honest with you, because that's the season they've had. But from an Everton perspective, Marley, Sean Dyche is known as this defensive coach. And I don't know whether that's fair, but what I mean by that is... His Burnley teams were always difficult to beat, or so the perception was. So why is it now that he's gone into Everton with arguably the same players like Keane and Tarkovsky, or even better players than what Burnley had, and he's struggling to keep the ball out of the goal, or his team are, because they conceded two yet again last night, and it seems to be a habit. Mm, well, I don't know what he was teaching them when Alexander Isaac went past five of them like they were statues on uh, last Thursday night. That was that was crazy. But the, I, I look at Everton... And I think with with Burnley, you had your two centre-backs, Tarkowski, who's obviously at Everton now, uh, and Ben Mee. And Ben Mee and Conor Cody, they're the same, exactly the same really, aren't they? Sort of hardened, proper captains, proper like, big, big players. But then I, you look at Burnley and they had Charlie Taylor at left-back uh, and it was either Loughton or Bardsley for a bit at right-back. And I look at Everton and... The left back Mikolenko is shocking. The right back Coleman, he's just got no legs. Uh, he'll give every, he'll give he's everything willing. he's got. Got stretched off. And last he got night. injured last night. Yeah. And then they've got Patterson, who they spent 15, 20 million quid on in January or I think about was it the summer or January camp? I think it's January. But either way, he's barely kicked a ball, um, which obviously means he's not rated by the manager. 
um it's you know it it ends with godfrey playing right back and he's not he's not good enough to play right he's not he's not physical enough he's not fast enough to play to deal with a winger he'll deal with center forwards he'll play quite well at the back but i just i, I just look at the defense and man for man it's way worse because even though like charlie taylor and, and matt Loughton weren't incredible players they were at least fullbacks they were like you can get more out of a limited player than a player playing out of position i think um, well, this is some of the frustrations that Everton fans have got. They don't understand why Keane keeps getting games, Michael Keane. And some of the suggestions or accusations even from Toffees on social media last night that I saw, Joel, were he keeps picking his mates, Tarkovsky and Keane. Whereas Connor Cody sat there on the bench, someone who's, I think, a natural leader with plenty of experience. That's not to say that the other two centre-backs I've just mentioned aren't experienced or aren't leaders, but... Maybe it is time to change things if up. If I was him, I'd be playing five at the back. Put Cody in the middle and replicate that Wolves thing. You know, have, have Cody in the middle, Tarkowski and Keane or Tarkowski and Godfrey either side of him. And then just safety in numbers. Just if you've got, if your defence is crap, play as many defenders as you can and just try and keep the ball out like that. Play with wing backs. Um, do, just make yourself harder to beat because they're too easy to beat at the minute. That's what surprises me. That's what surprises me. You know, they concede in twos and threes. That's what's happening. They conceded, I think, three to Fulham. They conceded two against Chelsea, who could barely four score any goals at that point. Four to Newcastle. Two last night to Leicester. And the Soyuncu goal was an absolute shambles defensively. Shocking. Well, if, so, you, if you keep going with the same back line and expecting different results, you can have a very bad shock, which is that you're going to get the same thing every single game. And when you look at the bench, you know, like you've just mentioned, Godfrey, his normal position is a centre-back. Yet I've barely ever seen him in that position. He's always like this rotational defender. And then when you look at the bench, you know, you've got Yeri Mina. I know he's not the greatest centre-half. Or you've got, um, you know, so many different options. Connor Cody's the biggest one for me. You know, he left a Wolves side, which conceded under 30 goals every single season. Why don't you use that experience or tap into it and just shore them up? And I think, you know, for example, having Onana not in the team as well has been a massive miss for them mm. because I know he keeps persevering with James Garner and I know he's got promise, but I don't think he's he's not going to he's not going to help your midfield and tying it up and shore it up in a, in a relegation well, battle. Well, I thought Everton's midfield three, when they've got everyone fit, is actually quite attractive. You've got Onana, Idrissa Gay and Decore. Mm. I think three powerhouse midfield players who all have slightly different qualities and I think that that is a, a tough midfield three to get round my only concern would be they're all quite similar and maybe you do need someone like Garner who's more forward thinking uh, but was that the right game last night to play someone like Garner who's more forward thinking when it was so transitional and Leicester were attacking because Leicester don't seem to have an issue scoring goals they've scored more goals than any of the other sides in the bottom half of the table. So, you know, scoring isn't Leicester's issue. It's, it's keeping the ball out of the net. Scoring is Everton's issue. They've only scored 27, which is the fewest of any team in the bottom half of the Premier League. So maybe we should have expected a a 2-2 last night with teams going at it. Yeah, and it doesn't feel so long ago that Everton just brought in, for example, Solomon Rondon to try and lead their line. <laughs> oh you know, God. they've been lacking up front uh, for a long time now. And just looking at the remaining four fixtures to come, Brighton away, which is 
now turning into one of those really dreaded fixtures for every single Premier League team. I don't care who it is. It is such a tough place to go to now. Then Manchester City. It feels like every single team has got Manchester City to play, which is almost like going up against Ivan Drago after he steadied himself up ready for the, uh, <laughs> the uh, Balboa fight. And then the big one and the big two, sorry, you got Wolves and on the final day, Bournemouth. I think for Daesh, he's got to be targeting them too. I can't really see him getting much against City. I don't really see him getting much against Brighton. But the Wolves and Bournemouth ones, his team really need to pluck something out of thin air. Some kind of goal, some kind of sign. When you looked at Calvert-Lewin, it just looked like a, a striker with zero confidence. You know, that, that miss that he did against Leicester. He could have tried that 10 times in training. It would have gone in the back of the net. But the big moments like that are the ones that need to count. And if he's not going to do it in those final games, I mean... Strikers, the guy who gets you out of trouble, isn't it? Okay, well, let's take a look at the bottom of the table then before we finish today's podcast. Southampton still rooted to the foot of the standings on 24 points after 34 games. That is six points from safety and their games to come. Nottingham Forest away next Monday before at home to Fulham, then Brighton, then Liverpool to finish off the season. Everton a second bottom on 29 points. That is one point from safety. And they've got Brighton, Manchester City, Wolves and Bournemouth to face. As for third bottom, that's Nottingham Forest who, as we mentioned, take on Southampton next Monday before trips to Chelsea. They then welcome Arsenal and it's away at Selhurst Park to face Palace on the final day of the season. And outside of the relegation zone, you've got Leeds United who are only out of that drop zone on goal difference. Their matches to come, Manchester City, as Joel said, Newcastle, West Ham and Tottenham. That looks really, really tough for Leeds United. And I'm not counting West Ham out of it in 15th, but we'll only go up as far as Leicester, who also have 30 points in 16th after last night's 2-2 draw. Fulham, Liverpool, Newcastle United and West Ham. So you're talking about all four or five teams that are down there. I've got difficult fixtures. So, I mean, I'm. we've been saying this for weeks. You'd be an idiot to put any money on who might go down. But at the moment, the bottom three is Southampton, who are cut adrift. Everton, who are one point from safety. And then Nottingham Forest, completing the bottom three, who are also on 30 points. So Forest, Everton, Southampton, the bottom three so far. Is that how it's going to stay? Everton, I'm a big believer in football heritage. And I do think Everton's football heritage is going to come into play here. You can't, you just cannot disregard the history of the club. I feel like that alone is going to get them out well, of it. Everyone said that about why. Aston Villa and they got relegated 10 True. years ago. And sometimes a relegation, sometimes what you need to reform. I mean, when you look at Aston Villa now under get Unai Emery. Get out. Hit it, you know. A relegation is never what you need, Joe. I mean, it's for a club <laughs> like Everton, right? Well, for the stadium, probably not. But um, I do think Leeds... They're in just absolute capitulation at the moment. And I don't think a big Sam Allardyce hand is going to pull them up from where they're at at the moment. Uh, but I think one of Leicester or Everton, I think Forrest might actually sneak it. With the fixtures that I'm looking at, I do think they, they have a little bit more favourable ones compared to Everton. Well, they need to beat Southampton, don't they? If Southampton oh, lose to Forrest next Monday, yeah, that's gone. it. Southampton yeah. are gone. But then Chelsea have been bang average this season. But last two games, Arsenal and a Crystal Palace side who are probably already safe. Don't ask me, I'm not Nostradamus. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll ask someone who is, apart from Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, Marley, <laughs> who's going down? Southampton. <laughs> I think we can all agree on that one. Um, Southampton, I'd love to say Forest. I've got a feeling they'll stay up, though. That that game against Southampton, I think if they win that, they'll, they'll stay up because I don't think 
I can't see any other team down there getting more than three points. Maybe I might see them all getting three points, but that's it. So I feel like Forest might might get out of it. Um, Does that mean Leicester go in? No, I th- I think Everton and Leeds. It's too big. Maybe too big. But I, I I say that with no confidence because it's any of them. All five <laughs> of them are playing shocking. Even West, even West Ham could get sucked into it. You know, we're actually forgetting nah, about them. Got, West Ham have got Manchester United and Manchester City to play in their this next two games, they, and they're only on thirty four points. They've got a game yeah, in but, hand, but if they yeah, lose their game to West, if they lose their game to City tomorrow, they're back within four points of safety. Yeah, but are those t- are, are two teams below West Ham picking up? Three points, um, yeah, hundred percent. No, no, four points, and the goal difference. So it's basically five. So if the teams below them need two wins. That's huge. Like they they don't win games. The teams at the bottom. Yeah. So West Ham's goal know, difference the, is minus ten as well. So they should be they should be safe yeah. really. And everyone else's is like minus twenty three, minus thirty, or something like that. So and credit to Bournemouth as well, who we're not even talking about because they're way ahead, nine points ahead on thirty nine points, the same as Chelsea. After 34 games. Balls, However, I just wanted to say West Ham, though, they've still got Leeds and Leicester. Yeah, massive. If they, if they they've got Leicester on the last day of the season. Them, they're going to get sucked right into it. It's going to be a massive ending. West, West Ham's win over Bournemouth a couple of weeks ago was was big. Yeah, West Ham have won because... two of their last five. Bournemouth have won four of their last five. Keeps them safe, right. pretty much. Um, listen, we could talk about the relegation scrap for the whole rest of the day on Football Social Daily, but we're not going to do that. I'm just glad, though, that it hasn't condensed too much and we are looking like we're going to go straight down to the wire because the title race is pretty much sewn up I think unless you're the most optimistic of Liverpool supporters the top four will be going to Manchester United and Newcastle United and so it's just that bottom three that we need to decipher as to who will stay up and who will go down Uh, congratulations as well to Burnley and to Sheffield United I don't think we mentioned it last week but they've been promoted to the Premier League for next season and so we've just got some of the playoff teams now to wait for. Luton. Middlesbrough. Millwall. And someone Anyone else. Coventry. Sunderland. That's yeah, the other that's team. Coventry. Not Sunderland. Or potentially Blackburn on the final day. Coventry. Yeah. Oh, it's exciting. It's exciting. And we'll be with you every step of the way. And there are only a few steps left to go in the Premier League season. So hit subscribe and that way you won't miss the enthralling end to what has been an incredible campaign. But from us today on FSD, that's it. Enjoy the rest of your day and we'll speak to you tomorrow. Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.